Hello, hello. This is Baked and Bookish with your hosts, Maggie Boyer. And Savannah Cruz. This is the podcast where we get really baked and we talk about books. Sometimes the best books, sometimes the worst books. We also swear we talk about sex and we spoil the entire book for you. So be prepared for that and listen at your own risk. Ooh, I love that. It sounded all cautious, you know? Well, I mean, we are reading a book all about death today. Ooh, mysterious. It's not really triggering, though, guys. It's not like... No, it's yeah, not triggering. Don't worry. So what are we reading today, Savannah? We are reading When We Were Birds by Iyana Lloyd Banwo. And we chose this book. Well, I chose this book. I was scrolling through different Goodreads. What are they even called? The Little Lists. The Little Lists. And it was like best books in 2020 that are fiction and written by Black women. And it was very important to me whenever we were choosing books to have a lot of queer writers and Black writers and disabled writers anything that we could do to make our podcast more inclusive especially since we're both white podcasters and honestly this was my favorite book we read this season so i'm really really glad you chose it i had never read it before so it was kind of a gamble and it was the most beautiful book that we read this season for sure and probably ever yeah like i don't know if i'm ever gonna find a book that tops this one honestly it's so good if i had to recommend you buy one book from this season of books it would be this one. Same, same. So today we are smoking little blunts. uh, We are both little weak sauce, so we have these little mini blunts. They're really, really, really cute. And they kind of relate to the story because one of the main characters, Darwin, is always rolling up a spliff and they hate smoking it with his mom or Miss Enid, his basically aunt or whatever. Like he's always smoking with like these grown ass women and I love it. And he's always smoking basically a blunt. So I chose these. I was really, really excited when I was looking through all my blunt wraps because I never smoke blunts, but I have a large collection of blunt wraps. When I was one does. <laughs> when I was looking through them, I found these really, really, really awesome cones and we'll let you know how they taste, but they smell amazing. They feel amazing. They are Beamer hemp cones and so they were already pre-rolled for me and I just have to stuff them, but they're still blunts. And I love that because I love cones for joints too. And so I definitely recommend these so far. Uh, they're the ultra premium original. They have like no chlorine, no pesticides, GMO free, no bleach, vegan, no tobacco. And they say they're slow burn. So I'm really excited to try these. They're like, they're about half, would you say? A little more than half the size of a normal blunt? Yes, which is perfect because our lungs are not what they used to be. Yeah. And we have a bowl packed for after probably. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Bond smoking is the best smoking method for me. Personally. Same. Same. Oh my gosh. MJ is getting in your bag right now. We have our cat co-host here who is making a ruckus. (laughs) What did you find in there? That's a lot of trust you got for me that you just took your head of my bag. I could have scooped you. I could have scooped you real good. I am always afraid that Serenity is too friendly. I'm like, oh my gosh. She She wouldn't jump in my bag and go home with me. She would go home with anyone. 100%. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So who is Ayana Lloyd Banwo? So she is from Trinidad and Tobago, which is where our story is going to be set. It's in the Caribbean. Yes. And she's currently living in London. She graduated from the University of West Indies and holds an MA in creative writing from the University of Anglia? 
Her debut novel, When We Were Birds, has been named Indie Next Pick and one of the UK Observer's best debuts of 2022. And I gotta say, it deserves more. Yeah. I, I wanted to get all the recognition. I hope this book blows up soon because I was looking on TikTok and there were a few people that were talking about it positively, but I think a lot of like white people in particular didn't like the book for reasons that don't truly make sense. So it takes a minute to get into the dialect because it is written in Caribbean dialect. So it took me a second to get into the dialect and understand what was happening. But as soon as I did, I wouldn't change a thing. I think the dialect was perfect and necessary because it really put me into the characters, put me into the scenery, put me into where I was and what was happening. And I wouldn't have changed it. I think that the dialect made the story 10 times better. Absolutely. It enhanced the story for me in so many ways. It really put me in the mindset of my two main characters. And it just, it had such a beautiful prose to go with the mythic origins of the story like the way that they were speaking was so beautiful yeah i wouldn't have changed anything I wouldn't have either. So what is the plot line then? We have a bunch of characters, actually. We have like a ton of characters. So I'll, I'll read out the characters that are primarily important. We have Janiah, Darwin, Miss Enid, Yishide, Seema, Peter, Petronella, who is Yishide's mom, Grandma Catherine, who is a storyteller, and a list of ancestors with unique, beautiful names and stories, Errol and the guys that include Macintosh, Cardio, Jamesy, and Mikey. It opens with a story from Grandma Catherine, who is Yeshade's grandmother and she's telling the story of their family history and it's all about birds yes and storms and this beautiful way that the birds like their family turns into birds that help usher people into death it's such like an abstract and beautiful thing if you've watched like a lot of anime it's almost like they're shinigamis but they're birds right right yep absolutely soul reapers or whatever name you have for them they're almost like that Exactly. And it's really cool because it just sets this tone of like this mythical folkloric perspective, I think, going forward. And Yejide does not know that this stuff is really true. Like they're telling her it's true, but she doesn't fully believe it because her mom is not really talking to her about it or engaging with her about mom is shit. Yeah, her mom's shit. That's pretty much it. She goes into learning more about this later on in the book and then we get to see how her mom really dropped the ball. Yeah. Alternates perspectives between Yejide and Darwin. And all we get from Yejide at the beginning is basically the story by Grandma Catherine. And then we switch to Darwin's perspective. And Darwin is leaving home for the first time. He's leaving his mother, Janaya, and he, he's a Rasta. He's a Rastafarian. Mm -hmm. And he's supposed to keep his dreadlocks. He shaves his head and he is basically abandoning what he believes and his vows in order to feed his mother and keep her housed and keep her hands okay because she has arthritis and it's a big sacrifice. I mean, like to sacrifice one part of your values to address another set of values that are more important creates a lot of internal conflict. And I think that that was beautifully represented in this book where it's like he didn't make this choice easily and he's still keeping some of his vows. He's keeping his vows to protect his mother and to care for her and to keep her housed and fed and loved and cared for. And it breaks his heart to have to break other vows to do that. Right. But the only job that he could find was at the cemetery. It was that or like she is not going to get her medicine she is not going to be able to feed herself all this stuff and his mother is not exactly happy about it she's basically like don't come back here anymore if you're going to go work with the dead yeah so rastafarians apparently aren't based on this book i, I haven't read much about 
Rastafarians, but based on this book, they're not supposed to work with the dead or even go to funerals or anything like that. They're just like not supposed to deal with the dead. So he gets a job at a cemetery and that's clearly working with the dead. And so it's really conflicting. But the lady at the desk says, this is the only thing I have and it might be the only thing I have for a while. And so he's like, I have to take it. I have to take it. So he takes it and he goes out to Port Angeles. She's also upset because her baby daddy went to Port Angeles to find work and he never came home. Right. So Darwin's father just went to Port Angeles and never came back. Same situation, basically. She's scared that it's going to happen again. And I think that it's all beautifully summed up in the scene that we get where Darwin is like chopping off his dread and the full embodiment of how sad that was for him, how challenging that was to give up that part of himself and move forward, trying to support his mother despite her not supporting the decision. And it puts him in a really bad spot mentally. And it's so interesting to read from his perspective because he doesn't seem to be super clued in that he's depressed. Yeah, right? really doesn't. He knows that, I don't know, he's just, he's kind of on autopilot. He's almost disassociating through this. That's what I was thinking too. It's such a real depiction of what disassociating as you're heading towards depression kind of is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's something I didn't really pick up on when I was reading. And um, I've read this twice now, guys, because this was such a good book. We had to read it again. Oh, yeah. um, we read it a couple months ago and we were like, you know what? We need a refresher. We need to really do this book justice because it is so good. So we went ahead and reread it. But yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful point. As he's going to Port Angeles, we switch back to Yishide's point of view. And her mother is dying. Her mother is dying in the middle of a storm. So these storms are huge swells. And that's actually how the birds that represent their family came to be through a storm, is what Grandma Catherine had said. And every time one of them dies, the storm comes to take them. So there's this huge storm raging. The windows are open. There's leaves everywhere. It's a gorgeous scene. Gorgeous scene. And basically, Yishide goes up to her mom sits at the corner and as her mom dies her mom basically starts talking to her and her gift is passed down to Yeshide. and Yeshide can now see the dead Yeshide can now talk to them Yeshide can feel them in her body she can even see when the people around her are gonna die maybe not like a specific exact time but like basically yeah she sees how close death is getting to them and how dark their shadows are getting mm-hmm. and it's really hard for her to deal with because her mother never talked her anything about this. Her mother very much neglected both her daughter and her duties as this like bird, soul keeper, dead pleaser. Right. Someone who serves the dead from the side of the living. You know, she's just bombarded by all these souls. All of a sudden, they're upset. And she's taken to the cemetery. Astrally projected cemetery. To the cemetery in this storm. And she's like, why am I being pulled here? And then she locks eyes with Darwin. I think it's funny because I don't even think she was brought there for Darwin. I think that's a beautiful, neat, cute coincidence. Oh my God, don't call it a meat cute. Don't minimize this to a meat cute. (laughs) And sorry, I just heard a poem with that word so maybe it's on my mind and <laughs> i'm sorry guys it's way better than meet cute it's super super like non-cliche but like love at first sight moment right and so she's called there because there's some spirits that are in unrest and we'll learn why in a little while but there's a bunch of spirits that are in unrest in the cemetery and so she's called there astrally projected there and then darwin is there working and so they lock eyes and he thinks he dreamed the whole thing but she keeps coming to him in his dreams they keep meeting and never in real life and so it's really beautiful 
but sad. Definitely. And they can't stop thinking about each other afterwards. No, they can't. She can't put him in a box. I know the boxes were one of your favorite parts. But she can't. I feel like she never even said that, but I feel like she can't put him in a box. Right. As she's going into like the grief about her mother, she also is talking about these boxes, which is what we're referencing. She has a different size, shape, color box that she describes her feelings being put in and memories being put in. And Darwin is outside of this. They're mental boxes, guys. So it's basically like she's compartmentalizing, but like to an extreme visual degree. Like it's not just like, oh, I have a filing cabinet in my mind, which is already visualization for compartmentalization. But that's what I do is I put stuff in filing cabinets. <laughs> and she's like got these intricate, beautiful boxes for everything. And it was like really powerful and gorgeous. And she also has a box for this girl, Seema. Oh, that girl, Seema. So Seema has grown up in this house with Yesterday. So basically the St. Bernard women, which is Yesterday, Petronella, Grandma Catherine, et cetera, et cetera. They have all lived in this house for a long ass time. And people would come and stay with them and never leave and help out and do things to help these people who ushered the dead. And Seema is one of the daughters of one of those people. And Seema does all the cooking at the house. But Seema and Yesterday gotta have a relationship. Yeah, they kind of have a situation shift. Like, it starts out whenever they're so young that they're, like, growing up together. But there's also, like, this underlying tension between them. Like, whenever they're high schoolers, is that around when it was? I think they have to have been high schoolers. So they sneak out. Because they're sneaking out. They're either high schoolers or, like, really young adults. Right. And they are sneaking out of the house. And they go and they drink with some boys and smoke. And then they start fooling around with the boys. And literally, from across like the little area they're fooling around with they stare at each other as these guys are getting them off yeah the intense locking eyes while they're booking up i was like "Ooh, i love this it's gay and then later she goes she's in her room and Seema comes into her room at night apparently a lot Ooh. and they have this moment and it's like savannah pointed it out to me because i didn't even notice it at first because it's the way that this author writes is so subtle and beautiful and she really shows doesn't tell right and so right. sometimes it's easy to miss the little things but once you realize it, you see how beautiful it was so there's this one part where they're laying in bed and Seema's like brushing her hand across her face and her hair and her body and her hips and savannah points out the fact that she's like and lower and lower and <laughs> I was like, that's hot. And that'll come back around too in a different sex scene. And so like you get this like minor little tiny sex scene and you kind of see their situation ship progress. But the sex scenes are so subtle and beautiful that like I literally didn't even notice the first one. The second one I obviously noticed. The first one I really didn't, but it was still a beautiful moment that I was like, ooh, I think Seema. We were literally outlining this episode and I was like, Savannah, can we talk about the fact that I think Seema has a crush on yesterday? And Savannah was like, they fucked. And maybe I'm wrong about this. Now I'm like second guessing myself because it is very subtle. But yeah, you get it to me and I'm, I'm pretty sure they fucked. I'm pretty sure they fucked. Okay. And it was really cool about it. So they have a relationship, but it's kind of a situation ship. And now we switch back to Darwin's perspective because this book, every chapter to couple chapters, it switches perspective. Right. So we're back in Darwin's perspective and he's working in the cemetery and he has his first funeral and Errol gives him a lot of cash and a little thing to drink. 
And he's like, dude, I already got paid. Why am I getting this extra hustle money? But he doesn't really question it. He just goes along with it. He's like, okay, whatever. Everybody's taking it. And they're saying, don't ask questions. So I won't. Right. Because um, I need to take care of my mom. Yeah. And so he's kind of made an accomplice in some things, but he doesn't even know it yet. And then he is locking up the cemetery because he's the one that gets to lock up. So he's working in the cemetery and it's his first funeral. And he is really stressed and it's really hard for him because he's never been to a funeral and it's an old man who lost his wife Emily and he is starting to talk to this old man and this old man's like yeah I don't have any friends Emily was my friend like you haven't been married 50 plus years you don't understand what I'm going through but like it was so sad and so he's like okay yeah you can just chill here I'll just look like I locked the gate and not really lock it and that's that's kind of it for Mr. Julius for a minute yeah or forever we'll see Teasing up the mysterious vibes. I love that. I mean, this is like a mysterious book. It's like a beautiful prose and it's like so earthy and gorgeous, but it's also kind of dark at times. Oh, you know what I've been thinking about all day? What? Is whenever he's talking about, Darwin's talking about being high and just wanting to touch the dirt and plants and like just make them want to get into the garden. I felt so seen. <laughs> like whenever you get high, you just feel like hanging out with plants. Yeah. Absolutely. Grant will literally carry around plants and be like, I need this plant on my desk while I'm gaming. Yes! Yes! He's like, it doesn't get light here, so I can only put it over here for a couple hours, but I need it. <laughs> I need it! It's cute. It's really cute. I'm sorry, I was totally distracted from the whole thing. I don't need it. It was just so important to me that I say that, because I forgot how, how important that was to me later. Yeah. Like, as I was gardening yesterday. Oh, that's so pretty. See, we think about you guys all the time. It's true. I really I really think about you all the time. I'm obsessed with you guys. I'm your biggest fan. Ooh. Yeah, so... So we're back at the cemetery and it's a different day now. He's been getting this cash for a while. He's been depositing it in his mom's account. He's been hanging out with his Enid, giving her some cash because that's his mom's best friend slash kind of his aunt. He's been giving her cash to give to the mom or to buy groceries with for the mom, sneak some stuff. I'm going to leave that in there because you're the little fucker of the cat. <laughs> So we were, okay guys, we were actually just recording with Mean Book Club, which was Savannah's favorite book podcast before us, because now it's gotta be it. No, Savannah's like, no, it's not. It's still Mean Book Club. I don't, I get so embarrassed listening to myself talk that I don't listen to very much of our podcasts. But we were on Mean Book Club and it's Savannah's like favorite podcast. It's the podcast that got us into book podcasting. So the episode may or may not be out yet, but follow me on Instagram at maggie.writes and we'll be sure to have that episode linked and everything and to be sharing it because I was named little fucker of the cast and I want Savannah to be the little fucker of this episode. Yes, she had to open her water. She had to hydrate. Damn it! I know. I I had to do it. I was craving the bubbles, you know. Okay, so we're we're back at the cemetery. Right, we're back at the cemetery. It's like the next day. Darwin is. I feel like it's a couple months later. It's at least two months later. Who's it really? Yeah. So he's been putting money in his mom's account, seeing Miss Enid, etc. Oh, the true, true, true. And so two months or something goes by, and he is at the cemetery, and yesterday comes to the cemetery to bury her mom. I was going to call her Miss Pat, but that's Patroclus, not Petronella. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Totally go listen to our Circe 
episode if you want to know what I'm talking about. Anyway, anyway. So she's coming to the cemetery to bury her mom and get all of the deeds and everything in order. And he has to kind of escort her around the cemetery to tell her like some problems with the grave and stuff. And they end up just talking and having a good old time. He's like, I'll figure it out. Like, I'm, I'll do anything for this woman. Yeah, they're, like, immediately, like, they don't even go to the honeymoon stage. They go straight for, like, this deep intimacy kind of situation. What are you talking about? They did get corn, isn't that? That's true. The ro- <laughs> they have, like, 20 minutes of the honeymoon phase. Oh, true. Very true. Because they were like, I don't want to talk about the deep stuff right now. So they have this, like, long talk about the grave, about death, all these things, and then she leaves. And he's like, dang, why didn't I get her number? Next time I'm going to see her is her mom's funeral. I can't make a move. That's true. But he knows that they have to talk. Yeah, he's like, this person, something is happening with this person that I need to know. But he can't do anything about it right now. He's just going to have to wait. He's just going to have to wait and see. He might talk to Miss Shirley. He's figuring out his plan. So basically, he is starts hanging out with Errol and the guys, and they go out to the bar, and everywhere they pass, people are like, hey, Hey, sweeper, how you doing? How's it going? And he gets to the bar and he's talking with the councilman and getting money and they're all throwing $100 bills everywhere. And he's like, you know, why do they have all this money? What are they spending their money on? They're in really nice clothes. They're opening huge bar tabs. Like, what is happening? And he's really confused and concerned. One of the next nights, he's closing up at the cemetery and they come to the cemetery. He's like, what is going on? And he's like, what is going on? And so then he basically is like, okay, I'm going to watch and see and stuff. And they're like, no, 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 you're a part of this now. And he's like, I don't want to be a part of whatever evil deed you guys are doing. And they're like, well, you've been taking our money. So you're already an accomplice. Right. We do this. We bury bodies and we steal things and we pillage and that's how you get the money you get and he they're like you're in too deep already so he's like oh shit i'm gonna have to figure something out he like assists them in digging up grave yeah so basically they force him to dig up a grave and they make him do it like by himself and pretty into shoes and he's having like this panic attack of being so close to the dead at the same time as like having to dig a hole to bury a guy who was literally wrapped in a blue tarp guys like this is a very illegal situation going on so they build up the coffin they steal literally all the jewelry and cash that's in the coffin so they dig him up they get all the goody goodies and then they lower him back down and they put the person who is in the blue tarp in the ground and bury him and so now darwin's like i'm an accomplice to a really major crime i'm like really an accomplice now and he is really really stressed but then he sees something he sees a flash of gold he sees that macintosh is wearing mr julius's rings mm-hmm. so they probably also killed mr julius and buried him that night that darwin left him in the cemetery so the next day rolls around and the cops show up and actually ask about mr julius well that was before they fa- he found out about the ring though he didn't know that he was lying yeah that i think he was lying about leaving mr julius in there after dark because he didn't want to lose his job because of his mom but he also didn't want to he didn't think that anything had happened whenever he lied to the cops that's a good point okay yes so that's basically what happened thank you for that savannah yeah and yeah the cops come by and they're asking about mr julius and he's just like yeah i I don't know i don't know and earl's using that against him now earl's like who do you think they're gonna come talk to about mr julius it's not gonna be me i have a good reputation around here it's gonna be you right you said that you were the one locking up and i basically pinned you into a corner you do whatever i say 
hey, you're my little bitch boy now, basically. Right. So he is really stressed about this. And so the next day, he's at the cemetery, and Yejide pulls up on the side of the road. He's like, I'm just going to fucking cut. It's like cutting class. I'm just going to ditch the rest of my job. It's lunchtime. I'm just going to go home. I'm just going home with her, literally. So they go, and they go, and they get corn soup. And she's kind of sad, but she doesn't want to talk about any of what's going on with her. She's overwhelmed. She's frustrated. She's scared. She's angry. But she just wants to sit in peace with Darwin, because Darwin is all green. He doesn't have any death in him. You know how, like, I was saying, everybody else she looked at, she could see, basically, when they were going to die. She could not see anything in him. He was her anchor, as she said. And so she was just like, I just want to sit here and bask in this quiet and piece it was really beautiful so they eat like corn soup together and then they get back in the car and she just takes him to her house no talk no discussion nothing they just silently hold hands and then she leads him through the dark into her house and they go to her mother's room which is now her room they get in her mother's bed and they have sex and I will say, this is the most beautiful sex scene I have ever read. It is gorgeous, gorgeous prose. And it is not really? like, like, it's not smutty, but they still use the word nipple. Like, I don't know how she, I don't know how she managed to be so artful in and non smutty, but like also still low key turn you on. Like, it's, it, I don't know, it was beautiful, but guys, it was so relatable. I also had sex in my dead mom's bed two days after she died. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did that. I smoked a blunt in her house and then had a lot of sex we all grieve in different ways or i guess the same way i was gonna say me and her me and yesterday we uh we grieve the same <laughs> we two are the same so yeah basically that was really funny to me when i was reading it i was like this is so relatable oh my god but then it also is just gorgeous prize regardless even if it will be relatable like savannah doesn't relate to that story but she thinks it's a beautiful sex scene yeah exactly Exactly. There was so, it was just so beautiful. Like, it was a sensual experience to read that sex scene. You know? It was gorgeous. Literally the best sex scene I've ever read. And, you know, I actually do read smut like Savannah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not always. I clearly read a lot of other books, but (laughs) exclusively. People out there that read exclusively smut, no shame, no hate, no hate. If you only read smut, good for you. I would be horny all the time if I only read smut, though. So can't do that. My mom recommended a book to me that she saw. She was like, somebody reposted this and it was like a book talk thing. So I thought maybe you'd like the book. All the girls at my school, all the teachers like this book. And I was like, what is it? And it's like the crown of thorns or something. You know the one that I'm talking about? The boy And it's just fairy smut, isn't it? (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And the author's track. Are they really? Yeah. I don't know much about this. You're probably going to have to cut this because it's so out of pocket, but... Yeah, I can't remember, but basically, like, she doesn't have any black characters unless she kills them all, and there's a couple other instances like that. Like, she's pretty racist. Oh, my God. People love her. People love her. All right, we'll get back to her. Oh, my God. Where were we? We were talking about the most beautiful sex scene I've ever read. Right. And so then he leaves, and he leaves his keys with the edge of day. Yeah. And he goes back to the cemetery. They made a plan. So they were going to run off together. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. They were just going to ditch this situation because he was in a bad way and she really didn't want to deal with all this unbelievable burden that she's having to carry for all of these bodies in the cemetery, all these souls. Because now, as you guys have probably figured out, all of the souls that are like raging at Yesterday are people that Sweeper slash Errol killed or buried for other people that killed them. Right. And so there are souls that aren't being remembered, that are lost, that are grieving and they're screaming. They're angry because, I mean, Errol is still doing it and they're sitting here and they're like, we can't do anything. We're freaking ghosts. Right. We need our advocate in the living to do something about this. And her mother had not done any fucking thing. And knew about all of this. Knew about all of this, but just chose to, like, disregard her duties. She was, like, really neglectful and abusive in certain ways. Because she, like, I mean, the way she talked to Yejide was pretty abusive. Yeah. And then just clearly just emotionally neglected her and her duty as, like, a spirit conduit. And so, yeah, basically, he goes home. He packs up all his stuff he might need. And he's like, we're going to get out of here. And Yejide is doing the same thing. She's packing up all her stuff before the funeral right and sure gonna leave death behind yep and so then she goes to the funeral and she wants to talk to him and he's like no don't talk to me because he got jumped the night before his mm-hmm. face is all beat up they were searching for his keys and they couldn't find him because he left him with yesterday right and he gets all beat up and he goes back to the cemetery he knows it was errol in them or like somebody they paid to do it yeah and goes to the cemetery for the funeral does the funeral doesn't say anything to yesterday really except for be here at dawn or whatever right and he whispers it to her he's very slick when he does it <laughs> <laughs> he was he was slick with it honestly like they're both really hot yeah they're both really hot yeah. anyway he slips her tongue because like her orgasm in that sex scene was like so the sex scene was like way better than her sex with Seema and that was really funny to me yeah That's yeah funny. well it just shows like what a casual hookup versus a deep intimate relationship yes versus what that is mm-hmm. and so funeral ends she goes home and he's like I'm gonna hide out here I lock up the gates and everything. I'm going to hide. So he stays in the cemetery overnight. And in the middle of the night, Errol and the guys show up. And they're looking for him. And they're calling out for him. They're telling him it doesn't have to be this hard, this, that, and other. And a storm starts raging. So this is the third storm we've had. We've had the storm that Grandma Catherine talked about that created the birds slash them. We had the storm that took Petronella. And apparently a storm took each of the women in their family history. But I don't want to tell you too much about that because it was beautiful. And there were some fun surprises. Like, those women were wild. Yeah. I love the women in her family. But um, basically, the storm starts raging and she is the storm. And so she flies in her car, not really flies, but like drives really quickly in her car to the cemetery. She knows something is wrong. She feels it with Darwin and with the souls. Right. And this storm is also about these souls, like seeing Errol about to do the same thing again to this man who's been trying to help them and serve them and stuff, you know, like there's that connection. He's been so good to the cemetery. He's been so cleaning. He puts out flowers. And even that night, he met another spirit and he got to talk with it. It's one of the few spirits he actually could see. And he got to talk with the spirit. And it turns out the spirit was his dad. Yep. They had like a three hour conversation and he found out at the end it was his father. Who was a spirit. Who was, yeah, a spirit. Like the same kind of thing happened to him yeah that's how he died was through that same situation that he had been forced into kind of he stopped the cycle yeah it was really sad and so he is running around the cemetery trying to hide 
from them and he realizes, you know, I got to strike first. If I strike the big guy, if I strike the leader, then the rest of them will back down probably. Where he goes at Errol and they both end up going down. They both end up losing a lot of blood, getting real, like, deathy and then Yeshide shows up. All the other guys have left because the storm is raging now. It's like a tornado or a hurricane. It's vicious. And she shows up and she takes in the scene and the spirits say, give him to us. And she's like, no, I'm not giving you my mans. And they're like, no, no, give us the sweeper. And she's like, yeah, fucking take him. (laughs) (laughs) Which, same. I thought, right? She was trying to save him. It was actually kind of sweet. She was like, I'd rather save my mans, but if I can save both of them, I'll try. And she's dragging Errol and trying. But the spirits are like, no, no, let us have him. And she's like, fucking okay. Yeah, whatever. Let's just, let's just put them to rest by giving them this. Yeah. So she gives them that and she takes Darwin home. Darwin stays for a while and heals up. And I mean, he's going to stay forever, but like he stays at the house solely for a little while and heals up, but it doesn't take him as long as it should because the magic of the house and the myths and everything. And he really bonds with Peter and Mr. Homer, who's this Catherine's husband. Yeah. And And even Seema. Yeah. He bonds with all of them and they really become like a family and it continues this house yeah. and this magic of this house that just keeps expanding and growing and stays standing and he is now a part of it. He is eventually going to go back to Fidelis, the cemetery and work and train people and kind of be like the new leader of the cemetery and it's really amazing because he keeps everything so clean and pristine and really honors the dead and he, I just, I don't know, he really equates that work to life to living and to honoring what they did while they were living and who they were while they were living and the living that mourned them. And I just thought it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was such a great end to the book. And like as he's going through and he makes uh, Mr. Julius a headstone to help his soul rest. And they've helped all these other soul rest by like breaking the cycle. I don't know. They just get to live in peace after that. And it's really, really cool to see. And then he gets to write his mom and tell her that he realized that his dad had died and was buried here through the same circumstances and that he never abandon them he just couldn't come back and he really hopes that that helps the mom heal the way it's helped him heal and it's really really beautiful but he's also like completely accepting if it doesn't change things for her right it's so beautiful and such radical acceptance of a situation that you can't change and i just i don't know this whole book was literally just the most gorgeous book i've ever read and there's still so many things we didn't touch on and it's only like 300 pages but there are like a bajillion things we didn't even touch on like that you guys will love in this book if you love any of what we said and like i said it is the most beautiful poetic prose it does have a caribbean dialect so it might take you a second to get into the dialect but as soon as you do like it is the most gorgeous book yeah it enhances the prose so much for me like it just really set the scene it was very tastefully done I loved it. I loved it. Okay, so I really wanted to talk about this because Darwin shaves his head to be able to work in the cemetery. And I wanted to talk about something called the Crown Act. The Crown Act is called the Crown Act because it stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. Because a lot of times, Black people can't wear their natural hair or locks or braids or things like that when they're going to a professional job. And that's not fair. You should be able to do whatever you need and want to to your hair. Why are we forcing people to damage their hair or 
or do something that doesn't make them feel like themselves in order to get a job. Like I already don't like when jobs are like you can't have dyed hair and I can't imagine somebody being like, oh, your natural hair, not good enough, not okay. And so there is a petition. I will link it in the description. People are trying to get the Crown Act passed in the United States and in different states in North Carolina right now. It is pending pre-legislation. So definitely let your representatives know that you want the Crown Act to be passed because it will help end discrimination against natural hair in the workplace. So I wanted to shout that out since we talked a lot about natural hair. We talked about him shaving his locks. That's literally what the Crown Act is about. So Totally. And it's like whenever he starts to become himself again, he lets his hair grow long because in the Rastafarian tradition, you don't cut your hair. That's like a big thing of their culture is just like having the long locks. And now he gets to start that journey again. And yesterday as it's like growing out is just like so excited to see him in his most natural state with like his longer hair. And he gets to do that in his job going forward. And we just want everybody to have that same privilege. Yeah. Yeah. The story was beautiful. The situation is not. So let's all work to change it together. So. All right. Let's move on to sesh fuck kill. Savannah, who would you sesh with? Who would you fuck and who would you kill? I'm going to have to say Darwin's mom, Shania. I want to smoke with her. Seems like she cooks really well and has lots of snacks. Whenever he talks about getting high with his mom, it's like always a fun picnic adventure kind of deal. And I'm just here for that. I think that that that's what I would want to do if I were getting high with anybody in this book. I do think that I would want to fuck Seema because... I feel like she deserved a little bit better. There wasn't a lot, a lot for her in the situation. I would agree with you, honestly, that Seema deserved better. Yeah, that was my only hang up. I didn't love that. But I have faith that Seema finds a good lover and somebody to expand the family with. And now everybody finds true love at the same time. And it is unrealistic when books do that. So I, I did like the realistic factor. Even though it was a mythical book that not everyone has a happy ending. And she could have killed off our favorite characters, but we're going to decide to keep them alive and just single. So I'll take it. I'll take it. Right. I was thinking about kill. And I don't want to kill any of the characters because Errol already died. You know, that's the obvious pick. I'm not going to go for the low-hanging fruit. I'm going to kill whoever doesn't like this book. I love that idea. I'm, I'm, targeting, I'm targeting people that don't like this beautiful book. Agree. I'm breaking down the fourth wall. <laughs> Your list is actually like really good. That's like an S-tier list. I love it. So I would actually smoke with Grandma Catherine because she's a great storyteller. And oh, true. I would love to just sit high and listen to her talk because I feel like I talk a lot. And it's always nice when somebody like is just telling me a story and I can just sit and listen. And I don't know. It would just like heal some inner child vibes. I love that. So let's have her there and Janiya there. And then we get the snacks and the stories. I'm telling you, the circles are always good. They're always good circles. Oh my gosh. We need to like, there's, they don't really exist. I was going to be like, we need to make like an actual, we need to invite them on the sesh, but we can't. No. We literally can't. Nope. We are so fictional. Damn. Yep. Don't always fall in love with fictional people. I know. It's hard. Speaking of falling in love with fictional people, I would definitely fuck yesterday. Ooh, yeah. She really reminds me of a really beautiful girl. I dated one. 
Yeah. Yeah. So shout out if you're listening to this. Yeah. I'm not going to say your name. You'll, you'll know who you are. Know who you are. And then I would kill Petronella because I just feel like she's such a neglectful and abusive mom. And if she had died earlier, I don't know. Maybe, what if she had died before Grandma Catherine or something? And then like it could have just gone straight to Yesterday and Grandma Catherine could have taught her shit. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, uh, I know she died in the book, but I want to kill her. That's true. If she didn't make it as long as she did, maybe things would have been better. Yeah. Although Yesterday had only just been like turned 18 right or something like that or 20 i don't know how old she is i have no idea so yeah that's who i would kill all right so what are you rating this book i'm an art can i guess yeah you can guess five stars yes if i go higher i would i love this book the best book that i've read in a long time seriously like literally so good yeah I'm gonna miss it. I literally don't. I don't want it to be over. Yeah, maybe somebody that's listening has a book that they could recommend to us that like has a similar vibe or is done this well. Yeah, if you have like no, because I'm gonna miss this book a lot. Give us the vibes. Give us good books to get lost in. I literally read like 75% of it in like a day and a half. You really did. It was very impressive. I got like the texts that are like updating me on how far you are. You finished it before I did and I started way before it. Yeah, I think you were at like 75% on Friday and I was at like 26 and then I finished it on Sunday. Right, right. I either like 20 minutes after you finished. I was going to say, you weren't far behind. You weren't I far just behind. sat down to read. And was finishing up the last, like, 3%. And then you texted me that you finished. And I was like, damn! Good job! Well, uh, thank That's you. for that. Thank you, thank you. It's just that good of a book. You can just read it. I literally, like, read it for, like, two or three hours and fell asleep on the couch. Not because it wasn't good, but because I stayed up to, like, 1 a.m. reading it. Well, yeah. It was... Yeah, it's a good book. I couldn't put it down until I literally fell asleep. It wasn't a, it put me to sleep. It was, I couldn't go to sleep because of this book. Right. <laughs> Right. I love that. Sleep had to find me. Sleep had to pounce. Speaking of any books that you want us to read, let us know by DMing us on Instagram or TikTok at baked.and.bookish. And I am also on there way more actively on at Maggie.writes. And I'm really excited for you guys to be here. I have a lot of books, a lot of things coming, a lot of things to come. And we have a lot of really fun interviews next season too. So I'll be able to be putting updates about that on Instagram. So follow us there for, you know, the interim in between season stuff. Fun stuff next week we're going to be reading Disfigured by Amanda LaDuke. Yes, we are. And I'm really, I was going to say really excited, but that's a lie. It's going to be an interesting episode, is what I'll say. Buckle up. It'll be interesting and read this book if you're going to read any book from this season. Having these two back to back, it was, oh, it made me like, uh, like comparing them was so hard. Like, I, and they're apples and oranges, but at the same time, apples and oranges are both fruits. They both right. have yeah. help but have a favorite. <laughs> so anyway, we will be back in two weeks and we cannot wait to see you, but definitely message me in the interim. I love you guys. I love it when you message me. Um, You guys always send me quotes from savannah and they make me laugh because i literally sit there and i edit and i text savannah all the things i found funny as i'm listening back to it and then you guys message me the things that you find funny and it just like makes my day it makes me laugh if i'm having a bad day i can just sit down and edit or i can just sit down and check the messages on baked and bookish and it just really lifts my spirits so thank you guys yeah, it's such a fun project to do with everyone. It really is. So we love you and we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.